Hello one and all, welcome to the All About the Athlete podcast by myself, Jacob Robson, from ASM Scholarships headquarters in West Palm Beach, Florida, where we talk about college recruitment, tips and tricks for your recruitment process, interviews with coaches, ex-college athletes and professional athletes as well. You can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at ASM Scholarships, or you can email me your recruitment questions, jacob at asmscholarships.com. Thank you for listening, I hope you enjoy the episode. Today, we've got a very special guest indeed, um, a fellow colleague of mine, Alistair. Um, Alistair, I'll let you uh, introduce yourself to the people. Uh, my name's Alistair, as Jacob's already mentioned. I, I'm originally from Scotland and came over uh, to America to be a swimmer in college over here at the Division II level in Georgia at Emmanuel College. Uh, swam there all four years, two times conference champion. And now I'm down here in Florida working with ASM. Good stuff. Awesome. Awesome. So, Alistair, I don't know if you've been listening to our past podcasts, um, but obviously what we want to do is kind of listen to everyone's stories. Of, you know, people have heard about my story. People have heard about Chris's story coming out here um, as a student athlete. Obviously, we're all from the UK, um, all three of us. And, you know, for you in particular from Scotland, I guess, you know, starting from kind of, the ground upwards and starting from where it came from. How did you get into swimming initially? I uh, got into swimming just because my mom used to swim. Uh, she swam at a pretty decent level uh, back home, like competitive wise. Became a lifeguard, was a lifeguard and basically made me and my brother learn how to swim. Mm. Uh, and basically made sure that we knew how to from a very young age. Mm. Uh, and then just kind of kept learning. I remember being five, six in a pool in Greece, just playing around. Um, if my mom was in the water, it was no armbands, but if it, she wasn't in the water, I had different ones still. But then um, I could swim better than some of the adults in the pool at that age. And, uh, I remember one guy that was there with his girlfriend, must have been in his mid 20s, same age as us. Uh, he, I guess he was fed up spending the whole day with his girlfriend and he started playing with me in the water. And, Kind of, that's my earliest memories of swimming and then just kind of moved on competitively, going to a competitive club uh, through a guy named Ron uh, back home. And then swam at that club for nine, ten years, all under the same coach, Brian Dalgleish. And uh, he's the reason I'm here today, you know, like he made me the swimmer I am. He moved club and asked me, like, uh, uh, You'll get three options really. You can either stay here and train under Neil, uh, you can move with me to South Ayrshire, or you can you know, choose a different club to go to and move there. And before I had even finished, I was like, well, I'll move him wherever you're, I'm moving with you. And I was like, there's no brainer, move there. And then, kind of, I said, when the American process or the American dream, I guess. Yeah kind of started let's 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 take it a little bit back so in terms of you know for me i grew up obviously playing football or obviously as, as the americans call it soccer over here um you know for me i i loved i, I love playing all, all types of sports cricket rugby um football um, even badminton to a certain extent um for me obviously in 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 the sport that like, you obviously come over here and you prioritize for the majority of your life uh, you know, for me, I, I love soccer or football because it was you know, so rewarding in terms of teamwork, in terms of 
um, you know, fitness levels and, and obviously yeah. get into, uh, you know, achieving, you know, the ultimate goals or the leagues or cups and stuff like that. So from a swimmer's perspective, from a young age, what did you like about swimming that made you kind of push forward and take it seriously, uh, sorry, more serious and more serious as, it, as the time went on? I don't know, just, I think one of the, I guess the weird kind of thing with me is just, I have this drive for like, I just want to keep achieving the next thing. Mm. Uh, in swimming, it's all that, you know if you're good or you're bad, yeah. you know, you know if you have a good swim or a bad swim, it's there, there on a bit of paper in front of you at the end of the day in times, you know, or up on the scoreboard. So just kind of that, like black and white, you either did well, you either did bad, you know, there's no real in between. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that you can do this or you can do that, you know, just kind of having that way forward and you know the next time you need yet to achieve the next thing mm -hmm. was kind of always just what I loved about it is like knowing what I needed to do knowing how I'm to get there mm -hmm. you know it's not it's different from soccer you know you could have a game and you can come off and you're like I don't know if I played well or bad you know just because there's no it's not black and white always you know yeah. you can play a game and not score any goals and still have a good game yep. you can play a game and score two goals and have a terrible game mm -hmm. you know um, so it's just that difference and I guess I was just kind of that oriented way from a young age. Yeah, I see, I see. So, um, you know, what I was going to kind of my additional question onto that was with kind of, obviously I know you're in a varsity team over here for swimming, obviously a club where, where you came from back home. And obviously for me, it's a team kind of sport being for soccer. How does the dynamic work with swimmers? Obviously you're a part of a club or a team, etc. but obviously with regards to not being in a relay race, um, and it's, you know, say if you're in your individual races, how does that differ and how's the dynamic, I guess, psychologically um, kind of go into play in terms of how you perform or what, what's kind of the thought process, I guess, behind you know, swimmers and, and being in a team and also on the flip side, being alone in the pool? Yeah, no, very good question. It's honestly very different between Scotland, the UK, the rest of the world and America. Mm. Um, Kind of going back to the younger days, like under 12s, under 13s, swimming, there was this thing back home called the Mini League. Mm -hmm. It was basically all the teams in Scotland would put a, a age group, two or three age group swimmers from each age group up, and you would travel across the country for like, I think it was four rounds over three months or something like that. And you would race against teams from all over and that was really team oriented and it was really fun, you know, because you're racing your teammates, you're traveling on a bus with your, fr your friends, you know, you're racing, you're having fun. But then when you get older back home, there's not as many team competitions. It's all about individual status. Okay. But at the end of the day, swimming is also one of those sports where you're training besides the same people every day. Yeah. And you know how hard and how much suffering you're putting in and you know how hard and how much suffering they're putting in and you kind of bond over sets if that makes sense so we have these sets and you know the hard ones that you complete there's bonds formed during them especially but if you're struggling or one of your teammates are struggling mm. you can form a really good bond just by encouraging them or just by pushing them one more or them encouraging you and pushing you to do one more mm. so you like it's kind of a weird bond just in terms of how much work, how much sweat, how much hurt you put into every set. Yeah. And back home, I still have friends that I talk to this day that are very close and I'll talk to it for the rest of my life. And then coming over to America, it changes very drastically mm -hmm. because 
I guess just add on back home, like if someone's not pulling their weight, it doesn't really affect you at the end of the day mm -hmm. because it's not a team competition, so you don't let it bother yourself too much. And you know, you just move on and you keep your head down and keep working. And you know, you try and encourage them to keep the effort up and keep working, but if they don't want to, it doesn't affect you at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But in college swimming, you come over here and you have dual meets and you want to win the dual meets. Yeah. There was two years I was over here, I, we went undefeated as a team, which is very difficult to do in college swimming. And uh, so we did undefeated two years and that required every single one of us to work hard every day and swim hard at every meet and then you have your conferences which obviously you're trying to win again as i said earlier we won two of those and again it requires the same thing working hard every day you need every person on that roster to score as many points as you can yeah. to win it doesn't matter if i win all four of my races if i win all four of my races the team doesn't doesn't mean the team's going to win yeah i need to do my work and then the next person needs to and then the next person mm -hmm. so Again, the same sort of bonds form in terms of hard working, but the bonds also form, you know, when you win a close meet. Um, yeah. I remember a meet against Carson Newman. Uh, we won by less than five points, I think it was, which is insanely tight for a dual meet. And uh, the bonds that were formed that day were incredible, just in terms of like encouragement and, you know, showing the hard work's pull, pull um, sorry, I forgot the words. Uh, <laughs> paying off you know yeah. and then also the fact that it sets us up quite nicely because we were going in the conference about a month out and everyone was still riding on this high mm -hmm. from um, you know winning the Carson Newman meet and that helped us go into conference and then carry through conference to winning conference and then we had a guy go on to be national champion in the 100 breast mm -hmm. with a few others doing amazingly well at nationals as well mm -hmm. and then but those people that don't try as hard affect the team more and it kind of adds this little negative atmosphere as well in college i would say is a little bit bigger than on the back home side just because if they're not working hard it is affecting you and people are going to say stuff and it does create those tense moments mm -hmm. so in terms of um obviously you know you've told us about kind of how the dynamic works from compared to the uk and obviously over here in the states um Kind of going back in terms of training and obviously as you get older you train more what was the kind of um you know the structure to your training because I've, I've heard some not horror stories um i mean i guess from me as a, as a football player i'm used to getting up going about my day and then having training later in the afternoon uh these kinds of things and for swimmers i've heard you know getting up at 5 a.m swimming a few laps going to the gym getting breakfast etc and then going back in the pool in the evening so what what's what's it look like in terms of training when you were in the UK and how did that differ, if, it, if at all, uh, when you came over to the US? Yeah, no, it is another great question. Like swimming is one of those sports where you have to put in the yardage, you have to put in the mileage, you have to do things that you're not gonna be comfortable with. And I don't really think there's another sport like it in that sort of term. Mm -hmm. I just feel it's slightly different than the rest. Um, you know, but at the same time, a lot of swimmers you know at an early age start putting in 20 hours per week mm. and that wasn't the same for me so i kind of want to make it clear like you know you don't need me doing 20 hours at 12 14 15 i didn't start doing i didn't didn't start doing 20 hours until i was 16 years old yeah. and you know still made it to america yeah. won national medals off of nine hours of training a week yeah. and you know and i've came over here and i've been part of two conference teams and 
you know. But so back home, my first club, when I started taking it, about 12, I was doing nine and a half hours of training a week, which involved, uh, we had very late training sessions at night. So it was a Sunday night, 8.30, 8.10, Monday night, 8 to 10, with an hour of dry land. Tuesday night, 8.30, 8.10, Wednesday's off. Thursday morning for an hour, Saturday, Friday morning for an hour, Thursday night for two hours, and then Saturday morning for like an hour and a half, and then I would go run uh, at the local park run, I would go run the 5k, yeah. and then that stayed the same from I was about probably actually 13 all the way through to 15, it was the same training I did, mm-hmm. uh, it was, I did a lot didn't do as much yardage as those doing 20, but what I did was quality yardage. You know, it was a lot of high intense stuff. Mm. Uh, sets like 15 ones on 130. I would go free, I would go back, I would go IM. Mm. And you know, I would do the same things over and over again at like hard intervals, high and fast speed. Mm. And that kind of allowed me to keep up with those guys that were doing the 20 hours and that, but it still gave me the room for growth as I got older. And then obviously you're getting a little bit older, you're starting to think, I'm starting to have those conversations like, yeah, yeah, I need to kind of start, if I want to make some of this, I need to start doing more. Mm. And there was a couple of things in the works and I was hoping to stay with my coach and he had a few things in the works to get us more hours and whatnot. But then he got his dream opportunity, he got assistant coach role uh, with the possibility of it, you know, eventually leading to a full-time role. And his dream is always to be full-time, so you can't exactly ask him to hold back, you know, for me. So moved with him and jumped up from nine and a half hours roughly to 14 and a half, 15 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was Monday morning, Wednesday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, yeah. Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night or something like that. Can't exactly remember now. And I kind of switched from tr- the way I was training. I started doing this thing called race pace at Kilmarnock, the first club I was at. Mm-hmm. And that was off of the guy my coach started doing that off the guy that offered him this job. And that started to show some real benefits, yeah. you know, and I was really enjoying it. So then I moved over to air and we started doing a lot more of it, but it was very interesting because at the start of the season, we did all this high yardage that I had not been, I'd been used to high yardage, but nothing like this. Mm-hmm. And the yardage was through the roof and really enjoyed it. I was kind of a weird guy. Like I, no matter how much I hurt, I wanted to do more. Yeah. It was and uh, then started doing the race pace, had some amazing results. My first year really set off, and um, you know, then won my second national medal. I won one at Kilmarnock individually, and then I won one as a relay team at Air. Mm. We beat the likes of Edinburgh Uni, Stirling Uni B, Stirling Uni A beat us sadly, <laughs> Glasgow Uni, uh, Aberdeen Uni. You know, we were just. Four, uh, 15, 16, or 16, 17 year old boys, you know, against these like 20 year olds. And, you know, it was starting to really pay off. Made a couple of national squads. And then the next year, my coach was like, right, I need to get rid of you. You need to be training 20 hours. So for my last year back home, started training 20 hours. Did some crazy, crazy yardage weeks. I think there was one week we'd done 65,000 meters. And you know, and that was just insane. Like, I think I swam 25 hours or something that week. And you know, it was all worth it, you know, because when I started to taper in that and do the race pace, mm-hmm. 
and the speed route, like I had all this extra speed, all this extra endurance to carry it on and did really well for myself again. And it wasn't until my senior year that I started to look to come over here. Yeah. And then when I came over here, it was kind of similar to where I was at Air, except there was no race pace anymore. Okay. We didn't really do it. And uh, my coach just didn't train that way. And I didn't have a problem with that. Again, do whatever it does to make me fast, you know? And uh, again, sets that, I preferred sets that made me feel like I was gonna throw up and was in like the hurt locker for two hours than the easy stuff. So lots of, I was a four IM or lots of four IM practices and stuff and a lot more IM practices than what I was used to back home. Was, yeah, and I'm intrigued to hear about this because I think for me, I never thought about the element of burnout, potential of burnout when you're in season, again, back in the UK or over here in college. Was there ever like a doubt in your mind or a thought in your mind like, oh, I'm going too hard? And, and not, even if to combat the potential of burnout, did you, you know, how was your nutrition? How was your kind of external life after training and stuff like that and, and, and kind of resting? How was that? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Like there's so much burnout in swimming. Like you see all these kids, like this morning I was looking on swim swam and there was an 11 year old girl that went 218 in the 200 breast. And now if you don't know swimming, you don't know what that means, but that's crazy fast. Just for example, the NCAA division two B cut is 219. You know, so there's lots of college swimmers in the Division Two, Division One, or any division level. They're not even going that. Mm-hmm. And like, even for myself, I wasn't a breaststroker. I think my PB in the two breast was two twelve. So this eleven year old girl was only seven seconds slower than yeah. my best time. Yeah. Um, and you just kind of wonder what sort of training they're doing right now. Yeah, they could be a, a kind of like a freak, I guess, and be mm-hmm. doing like three, four, five hours at eleven, mm-hmm. six hours, you know, seven hours, something like that. Mm-hmm and doing this which in that terms great but the worry is are they doing 12 hours are they doing 14 hours are they doing 16 hours at that age because you got to be doing a lot to keep that and go those times and if they're not doing a lot now the worry is coaches are going to start ramping up the hours and seeing how fast she can get and that's where the burnout is going to happen because she's eventually going to have a plateau like every swimmer does mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest things in swimming every swimmer goes through that stage for the plateau yeah. and it's how you get through that but if she's that plateau at 14 at 15 it's going to be really hard for her to get through it mm-hmm. just mentally to you know come over here or to keep going and get to college you know it's slightly easier if you have that plateau and you're slightly older mm-hmm. just because you're more mature your coaches under you've got better coaching or you're at college or university and you've dealt with lots of athletes that have had it so you know they know how to get you out of it they know what to do you know they know how to encourage you you understand how to handle it why it's not happening and mm-hmm. um, but personally i don't think i ever reached a stage where i thought i could burn i was going to burn out there's maybe like a few weeks you're like um i need some rest i need some rest but there's never a stage where i thought i'm going to I want to quit, I guess, you know, this is too hard, this is too much, but again, I kind of said, uh, I was kind of known for being one of those guys that coach would set down 10, 400 IMs on 5.30, 6 minutes, and I'd be, I'd be ready to go, I'd be raring to go, you know, and even the other IMers and the IM group were just sitting there like, oh, I don't want to do this, you know, this is going to hurt, but I was ready to go, ready to go, uh, I didn't care how much it hurt, and I, I think that also played into my part. And I did go through my plateaus, you know. 
uh, I'm a big guy as well, I'm 6'3", and uh, I was 5'8", and when I was 12, but I could, every time I grew, I kind of plateaued, I didn't grow often, but when I grew, I grew up, like it was like an inch, an inch and a half every can, in a quick consection, and then it'd be like another year before anything, rather than steady growth like some people, and I would get into the pool and I wouldn't be able to feel my stroke, my stroke would be way off, and I would just be swimming terrible, but again, there was just never that stage of, I want to stop. Mm -hmm. I always kind of wanted to go, and it's even the same now. I was up in Charlotte the weekend, and I haven't swam in six months. But now I'm like, oh, I need to get. I want to go. I want to go. I want to race. And you know, I'm six months out of college, and I'm, you know, just see what I can do now. See what opportunities there is. We've we've covered, you know, kind of your your, you know, growing up with swimming, you know, uh, your progression, obviously the the challenges of plateau and the challenges of burnout and how you manage that. So talk me through kind of the stage in your life where, like you kind of mentioned earlier, where you started to look at the US and then obviously venturing into the different possibilities and how you get over, uh, got over here, who helped you, all of these kinds of things, and, and really why you ultimately decided to come to the US rather than kind of staying in the UK, for example. So I moved to Air and one of the girls there decided, uh, was looking at it mm. and she came over here, she went to Sioux Falls and South Dakota mm. and um, you know I kind of spoke to her a little bit about her process and was kind of figuring out what she liked about it and then there was two girls from East Kilbride that came over one went to University of Georgia mm. one went to Missouri and kind of spoke to one of them as well the one that went to Missouri knew her well and just kind of was speaking about you know what um, she did how she did it and that and I decided you know what I'm quite interested in this mm. so I started looking around the August slash September kind of time of um, my last year six year in Scotland mm. um, and looked around looked online tried to figure out how to do it and ended up going with a recruiting company um, and we paid them the money you know and decided that they were going to be the guys that were going to help us and basically what ended up being was me and my dad did it by ourselves we used the database that the company sent us that we could have got off their website for free and um, you know and copied just sent a batch emails to 50 60 100 schools for four or five weekends in a row, you know, all different levels, division one, division two, NAIA, junior college, because we didn't know what we were looking at. So we just sent as many emails as we could, hoping to get a response, you know, because this is what I wanted to do, my dad supported me. Mm. Eventually started getting some responses from a lot of division two schools. And I knew I wasn't a great swimmer, so I wasn't ever expecting D1, mm. you know. Um, but you know, I didn't know what level I was at necessarily. So started getting a lot of replies from D2s, some NAIAs, a few D3s, and um, you know, just started having conversations with them and started to, you know, go down the route of talking about what I was looking for in a program, what they were looking for in a swimmer. Mm-hmm. What I think definitely benefited me during the process was that I was an IM or an I would swim anything. I would swim. Yeah, me, I would sw- swim five, six, seven events in two days. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of played into my part. The coach knew that I was willing to swim 
uh, anything. Yeah. Which, like over here, you need a minimum of three events, if not four, really, to be a good, to be a top recruit at any school. You know, like on the top of the list. Yeah. You know, you can be great in one event, but at the end of the day, you need three or four. And um, I think I played in fair hands. Was getting a lot of schools looking at me. Mm. I just kind of started talking about offers and stuff, and went down the route offers, and I eventually signed. I think it was. February, it may even be the March of my senior year, pretty late. Um, which wasn't ideal because then it led into a rush and then there was a mistake on my first I-20 that my school sent me, you know, and that comes through the mail and takes like two weeks. So I had to get them to send me another one and then that delayed my visa process and whatnot. And then I made a mistake in the embassy. I forgot a piece of paper. Yeah. And, you know, I got approved on the day for the visa, but I had to go back home. So I went over to Belfast from Scotland. So I had to go back home, get the bit of paper, whatever it was, mail that to the embassy, and then wait for the embassy to get that so that they could, like, you know, I guess confirm, double check that I was approved. And then my visa only arrived. 10 days before I flew out to the US. I'd be pretty nervous with that. I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a big stickler for having everything sorted within good time and 10 oh, days, yeah. 10 days Oh yeah, same, same. It was horrible. It, it may have been a little bit longer. It may have been like 20 days. But we were on a family holiday down in the south of Scotland. And it was like 25 of my family members. And my mom and dad were like, we'll book the flights when we get back because you know we were more focused on this. Yeah. So I booked my flights maybe a week before I left or something like that, you know? And we got quite lucky that they, my flight wasn't super expensive, but my mom came over and it was slightly ex- more expensive than what I've ever paid again. Yeah. Um, you know, which by that time, like my mom wanted to come over, so we weren't too bothered about it. but. Yeah. Starting your senior year is not great, obviously. Um, or your sixth year, if you're in the UK, get started at the latest, you know, your fifth year, second half of your fourth year. Mm-hmm. If you're doing your A-levels or GCSEs down in England, yeah. definitely get started before you finish your GCSEs. And just in terms of looking and reaching out to coaches or um, reaching out to recruiting companies to see what they can do for yeah. you, just because that's when they're gonna be able to help you the most because June 15th roughly of every year is when coaches can start speaking to you in two years in advance. Mm. So if you can speak to, if coaches can speak to you on that first day, the maximum amount of scholarships available for you. And that's what you're ideally looking for. It doesn't matter if you're a D1 level swimmer or an NAI or junior college, Mm. you're gonna get more scholarship the earlier you start. And that's just how it's gonna work. Um, it's a bit of a shame that in England and in the rest of the countries we don't really look to our senior year because we're always on a back foot. Mm. Even if you are thinking about America two or three years in advance, yeah. you, tend, you tend not to do anything until that last year just because, oh, that's when we start our process, so that's when they start their process. And it's not that way. Yeah. It, it's kind of a shame when looking at it from this side now when I'm speaking to some athletes, and good athletes, and you're like, hey, this is what we can do for you this year. If you wait for a take a gap year, we can do a lot better. Yeah. 
but what we can do for them right now is not achievable for them just because they didn't understand the process of starting early. I think, I think, and I, I think we're both examples of that. You know, I started my recruitment process, I think the November of my senior year, so about nine, ten months just, um, you know, out, out from coming to the US. And, um, you know, the level of soccer for the level of soccer, well, the level of soccer from the, of the offers I was getting from US colleges, I didn't feel mirrored the, um, you know, the, level of soccer I was playing in the UK so I don't know if that's the same for you in, uh, in terms of swimming times and stuff but I think you know if I was obviously turn back the clock and look back and you know start earlier I think more so doing research on myself on my own as well because when I was getting offers from D2 schools etc etc uh, or a few D3s as well I didn't understand the different divisions I didn't understand how important academic ranking was, all of these kind of things. And I feel like whether you get help or not with this recruitment process, which is a matrix all in itself, I feel like um, you know, getting help and at least helping yourself early on, I think is the best way uh, to go about it. I guess transitioning into, obviously you coming over here, your freshman year, sophomore year, et cetera, for the you know for the boys and girls at home that are you know avid swimmers or just athletes in general that have got interest in coming to America, what are the kind of I guess the three main you know lessons that you feel you learned, particularly more so in your freshman year, because I feel that's a big eye opener, especially obviously coming fresh from the UK into America. So the lessons I learned my freshman year about my recruitment process or about college Just in America. College in America, the experience, you know, challenges you face, all of those kind of things. Well, that's a good question. I um, I'll put you on the spot. I yeah, man. No, um, trying to think here. Uh, one of the biggest things I think. I would learn is it's a little bit weird because in swimming way swimming season works is back home and even over here you know you swim from like end of August all the way through to like if you finish if you don't make nationals in that you know you kind of have a two to three week break at the start of summer like June time you know or if you there's some meets right around that June, July time, that if you make those times, you swim up to them, and then you have two or three weeks off. And then if you make national cuts, and that nationals are normally end of July, beginning of August. So my senior year, my last meet was like, end of, try to think, end of June, beginning of July. And then I had three weeks off. And you know, I took the three weeks off completely. And just because I, I knew my body needed the rest yep. in that. but. I think, and I came out here like at the start of August, which is kind of unusual. Mm-hmm. My school started fairly early. Though. My school started like fifth of August, my freshman year, mm-hmm. and I flew over, or the seventh, I flew over on the fourth. Yeah. So I had not swam in three weeks when I got out here. So the proper swim season doesn't start to September. Yeah. But we had like unofficial practices and whatnot, and I was definitely out of shape when I got here. So the biggest thing is being in shape when you get here, but yeah. it's it's intense like the practices weren't hard but they're in or intense it's just you don't you don't want to be behind that curve mm-hmm. you know you want to at least be able to get in and have some good workouts especially that first week because it's just going to settle your nerves and that and your confidence like i was definitely a bit shaken i was like oh this is this has been a little bit hard you know um second big thing is hot if you're not great with your academics back home don't be overly worried because I wasn't a great academic student. Yeah, neither was I. And it definitely did affect some of the schools I could go to and not go to. But at the end of the day, 
like I was a lot more comfortable. The classes over here suited me a lot better. Mm -hmm. The way we learned over here suited me a lot better. And I was really nervous I was going to struggle in the classes. Mm -hmm. And there was some I definitely struggled in. There was others I didn't put effort into, which is my own fault. But it suited me a lot better. So I think just kind of relax a little bit here. Don't worry about the classes too much. You know, just let them start you know work through them and then if you are having problems reach out to the appropriate people at your school because yep. the help's there mm -hmm. i was really worried that i was just not going to be able to do it and i was going to flunk out or something you know and that wasn't the case and it was a lot of unneeded stress really and then the third thing would probably be prepare yourself like you're going to stay in america even if you know you're not going to mm -hmm. Just because you never know what opportunities are going to lie down further the job or further the road in terms of jobs um, or even further career opportunities within the sport whether you go professional or coaching. you go into coaching or you can get your masters as a ga i had never heard about that until my girlfriend got hers i had never heard of a ga yeah. you know so these were other things i hadn't heard about just kind of make sure you get yourself a bank account get yourself a driver's license get yourself a social security number yeah. i got myself a bank account social security number i've just got my driving license <laughs> now which you know i should have done that my freshman sophomore yeah. year even if i'm not even if you're not going to have a car get yourself so one yeah. Yeah. and then probably your junior year the biggest thing i've struggled with since staying out here was i didn't have a credit score yeah so this is something no one talks about even back home yeah, is exactly. in terms of credit and that but get yourself a credit card speak to your mom and dad first definitely you know yeah and make sure you understand the responsibilities of credit card your parents understand you're getting one or even have them on your credit card just so they can make sure you're paying it off on time and whatnot mm. and teaching you how to use it correctly That's because having that credit score is going to be so much help if you do decide to be a GA or get a job you're mm -hmm. going to be able to find apartments to rent and yeah. that at a torrid time of just being told I was unqualified for apartment after apartment after apartment yeah and um you know it just kind of became a big issue I didn't realize it was a big issue and I'm still I'm going to have that issue now for the next probably two to three years because yeah. It takes time to build credit, you know. You gotta have a credit card six months before credit starts to build mm -hmm. and different things. So junior year, six months, you're only halfway through your junior year, then you've got a year and a half to really get a credit score up. Yeah. And you'll at least have one. It might not be a great one, but you'll at least have one when you're leaving. Exactly. And they yeah. can sh it can show like, hey, I know my credit score isn't seven hundred or whatever it needs to be, but you can look at my reports and I always pay off in time I'm still building. I didn't even have any of that. No, yeah, that's one thing I, I soon realized as well. I think my first credit card, I think I actually got it kind of similar time like you were talking about was um, kind of junior year, first or second semester, definitely. And yeah, I, I found out the hard way, you know, um, trying to make it out here in terms of, you know, getting a car, you know, in, in terms of a car payment, you can't do anything until you've had your score for a good six to 12 months anyway. So it's a big life lesson. I think it's one that's not taught too often in no, the first not. international students. Um, it's something to be aware of, and it's definitely something to look into because like you said, you don't know what opportunities are going to arise by the time you graduate, you know? So I think preparing yourself in the right manner, like you said, with 
uh, get your driver license, get your social security number, um, and obviously, you know, maybe a car here and there if you need it, bank account, of course. It's always going to set you up in good stuff for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think the credit card thing's really educated anywhere, you know. No, I think it's more parents that push it. And my parents kind of had mentioned it, but I was out here, so we never bothered with yeah. it. But again, because I didn't know if I was planning on staying out here yeah. or not. And you know, you go through these phases. Is it worth preparing myself? You know, definitely is. Even if you don't use it, it's just going to be so much benefit, so much benefit to it, just in case. You know, it's going to save you a lot of stress and stuff. Yeah, my my dad always said it's better to prepare and fail than fail to prepare. So yeah, exactly. And that's the number one uh, top tip right there from uh, AS7's duo. Right? Yeah.